Hello and welcome to Sounds Jewish. My name is David Schneider, and for this special Passover edition of the show, I'll be your Moses, leading you to the promised land not of the Guardian studio, but of the Tricycle Theatre in northwest London. As it says in the Bible, And behold, they did journey forth unto Kilburn. In this month's podcast, Pesach is coming, Passover, the eight-day festival, marking perhaps the most defining moment in the history of the Jews, with the possible exception of the time in the 70s when Israel won the Eurovision Song Contest twice in a row. As you probably know, Passover commemorates the Jews fleeing slavery in Egypt to wander through the wilderness, overcoming poverty, hunger, idolatry and Yul Brynner, so that we, their descendants, may be free to eat matzah for a week and become incredibly constipated. Just me? No? And of course, marking the beginning of Pesach is the traditional meal known as the Seder. The word literally means order, though a fuller translation might be order your mother to sit down because I'm trying to get through the prayers and she's driving me crazy. In this edition of the podcast, we'll be reporting from The Other Seder, an evening of theatre organised by the Jewish Community Centre for London, showcasing four new short plays written by leading British Jewish writers, each giving their own unique take on the Seder. We'll be speaking to some of the playwrights, a rabbi, the audience, and asking why the family Seder is so memorable and sometimes so blooming tense. This is Sounds Jewish from The Guardian. Shalom, shalom. For the last five years, the Jewish Community Centre for London have commissioned original work from writers, choreographers and musicians alike, all given one brief to give an artistic interpretation of the themes from the Seder, the Ten Plagues, the Four Sons, the Four Questions, and the 987 verses of Dayenu, the longest song in the world with a laughingly ironic title which translates as, It Would Have Been Enough. Yes, indeed, it would have been enough just with four verses. This year, it's the Four Cups of Wine, and with me is Rabbi Jeremy Gordon of the Masorti Synagogue, New London Synagogue in St. John's Wood, who's my guide for tonight. So, um, Jeremy, can we just put this in some kind of um, context? Um, uh, the importance of Seder night for, for Jews. I, I think it's a, right at the heart of so many people's Jewish identity. It's right at the heart of mine. It was the heart of my parents, my grandparents, and it is the time when we come together as Jews and tell the story of how we were redeemed from Egypt, how God took the people out, Moses leading the people out. And not only is it the story of that kind of historical, biblical moment, it's then all kinds of strange songs, rituals, games, hide-and-seeks, dipping things in all kinds of different things. So it has a sort of its own levels of strangeness, like I think nothing else in the Jewish year. Well, at what point would people start doing seders? Well, we've got a text called the Mishnah, which we can date to at least before 200. So it's 1,800 years old. And if you look at the Mishnah, it's almost word for word what we would absolutely recognize from a Seder. So the questions of the Manish Tana are there. Exactly some of the things. Uh, anyone who doesn't mention Pesach, Matzah and Maror has not fulfilled their obligation. A lot of those pieces are down already in the time of 200. So why is this story so fundamental to the Jewish religion? I mean, the answer that the Seder says is that if it hadn't have happened, we'd still be in Egypt. In other words, this was the story which allowed the Jewish people to have their own independent existence. If Passover hadn't happened, if Exodus hadn't happened, we'd all still, and this is absolutely a quote from the Seder, still be slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt. I think one of the exciting things for me about Seder is even if you don't go to synagogue or don't have any access to the Hebrew texts... Um, 
on Passover night, we suddenly, we're all experts and encouraged to be experts in, in the, um, the Torah, in the Mishnah, the commentaries on the Torah and everything, isn't it? We're suddenly, we're in that world. I think one of the really special things about Passover is that it's done at home. And this goes right the way back to the Bible. It says in the Bible that you bring your Paschal sacrifice, you and your Chavorah, you and your kind of small group of friends and family members. So it's absolutely not about sitting in the pews and having a rabbi talk at you. It's about doing it yourself. And so many of the bits of the Seder are about encouraging people to do it themselves the youngest child specifically has a role this idea about asking questions it's a very jewish deal you know 365 days of the year but the the real encouragement to ask questions to be provocative to expound in new ways and tell new stories is right at the heart of the seder night I'm joined now by the producer of today's evening, Josephine Burton, and the director, Mark Rosenblatt. Um, Josephine, if I can start with you, why do something for Seder night? Well, I've always been fascinated by how rich the kind of the themes of Seder are, not just the movement from slavery into freedom and how the story is so redolent today for not just Jewish communities but African-American. The, the, the Exodus story is so rich and obviously, particularly at the moment, somehow, where we're watching crazy, amazing things unfolding in the Middle East still, and just thinking about all these people kind of throwing off their bondage. It seems even it remains a contemporary theme. And so I've been working with artists over the last five years to encourage them and commission them to create new pieces of work inspired by bits of the Passover Seder. So over the years I've worked with Hofesh Schechter, who's the contemporary dance choreographer, and he made a piece of dance inspired by the Ten Plagues, with the artist Joshua Sofer, who made a piece about the Four Sons, and with Blind Summit, the puppet company, who made a piece inspired by that funny bit in the Seder called that goes, My Father Was a Wandering Aramean. And they did an amazing piece of puppetry about that. And this year was the turn of the Four Cups, and why the four cups? I, I started to look into the four cups and I was just in, uh, kind of in, interested in the fact that every cup, according to the rabbis, is a, is a slightly different take on a kind of freedom. The point being that the transition from slavery to freedom is so huge and overwhelming and challenging that it needs to be taken in a number of different steps. And so gradually... Over the course of the Seder night, and as we read in the, the Jewish book, the Haggadah, we move ourselves from slavery to freedom. And there are different kinds of freedom. So there's a sort of physical freedom, a liberation, a spiritual freedom of being kind of delivered, a, a freedom when you kind of believe in humanity again, um, of kind of being redemptive, and then a freedom of being yourself again like being able to kind of throw off the mental shackles of being someone else's slave and I thought well it would be really interesting to commission four different playwrights to write different pieces short plays inspired by those different sorts of freedoms and so I spent some time um, thinking about who those playwrights could be or should be and in the end worked with four amazing playwrights very different um, Arnold Wesker, Amy Rosenthal, Eve Ensler and Ryan Craig to each write me one play inspired by one of those bits. I've had a quick look at the scripts, and um, uh, on first glance, Mark, there doesn't seem to be that much sort of explicitly Jewish content. There isn't. I mean, I think it's extraordinary that four Jewish writers have chosen really to write absolutely not about 
a, any kind of specific Jewish experience or Jewish characters. We have uh, two black actresses in the company and we were talking uh, at a break in rehearsals about had this been written a, a commission piece for uh, the current generation of black playwrights that they would absolutely have written at the stage uh, that the black community is probably in in this, in this country. They would absolutely have written about black characters and black issues. Whereas I think the, 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 the Jewish... Jewish writers have been established for that much longer in this country. I think the current generation, the current crop, uh, certainly the two younger ones and also the very established um, older Jewish writers, uh, I'll feel very free to explore ideas in a, in a not necessarily Jewish context. So could you tell us just a little bit before we go in to see these plays, can you whet my appetite a bit, what, what to expect? The first play that we'll see this evening is, is Ryan Craig's Redemption about a relationship between a husband and wife which is completely thrown off kilter by uh, an episode that the wife had with a young teenage girl and the, that, that kind of episode and the repercussions that episode plays out in their relationship. The second play is Arnold Wesker's Deliverance which will also show the relationship between a husband and wife but it's, it's a slightly different play because in a way that it's about um, both of them desperately trying to find some external power that will change their lives and send them onto a different course. And then the third play is um, Eve Ensler's Free. And that depicts two women, victims of sexual abuse in the Congo, who are desperately keen to tell their own story to a journalist who wants them just to talk about their experience of being raped. And the last play will be Amy Rosenthal's Liberation. It's a story about the kind of the physical freedom of going up to university and being free of your parents, but even actually finding even that hard. I don't want you to go! <laughs> Come on, Evie, I've been here all week. I didn't realise it was such a hardship. I thought we were having a nice time. But we were, we are. We, we've had a lovely time, but I'm at work tomorrow and I don't want to be on the motorway all night. I said I'd be home by ten. Well, we'll ring Mum if you like. Oh. What? Evie's holding me hostage, so I've got to stay the next three years. You can't just abandon me. <laughs> it'll be fun, love. It'll be exciting. You can't expose me from my own family. New people, new conversations. Dad, just take me with you, no, please. I can't take you with me. You're here now. You're not some animal that's got too big for the nurse. You can't just decide. Okay, you're old enough. Fend for yourself from now on. You're not in the wild. You're in an all-girls hall of residence. <laughs> so I'm joined now by the, um, the playwright of Liberation, Amy Rosenthal. Um, uh, is that based on an experience that you had without being too much of a knee-jerk, uh, everything you write is about you? Everything I write is about me. Um, it was, it was it very much so. Yeah, I mean, I didn't actually hold my dad hostage, but he did come with me, and he did stay for the whole of Freshers' Week, and that was very much because I wanted him to. Um, I'm joined now by uh, your mother, who's Maureen Lipman. Um, hello, Maureen. Hello, David. So you're a very proud mother, I imagine, having seen that. I'm proud mother anyway, but now, but tonight, yes, I thought hers was... I thought they were all interesting. I thought the Eve Enslers and Amy's were particularly interesting. Passover in, in the Rosenthal-Lippmann household then, I mean, what, what, what's, was it, uh, has it always, Maureen, has it for you been a major, major um, fixture in the calendar? I like Passover and I love the egg and salt water. What is better than that? The tears, the new life. 
uh, uh, it's a great opportunity to have a family occasion and to think about where we came from then and where the heck are we going now when things are so difficult. I'm not going to get off on one, Amy, don't worry. Getting off on one, that's sort of what Passover's partially about. I mean, we do do the, do, do the rituals and the songs and everything, but... but Every family has its traditional rows or strong opinions. Um, is, is that your memory of Passover, Amy? Not particularly rows. I mean, when none of us are very confrontational. I suppose we used to be a bit, but but um, well, I always see it as a, as a happy as a happy do festival. Do we do too. the second night, or do we just yeah. do the first night? And my mother always running around with a bowl of water and getting never Grandma. taking part in it. Grandma never taking part in it, just running around with you know with the bowl of water. I always most see it as everybody wants to have the meal, and you have to do the bit beforehand. <laughs> And, and nobody as, wants, nobody to, do wants to do and then and then you feel obliged to have a conversation at the end after the meal about what it was all about but actually by then everybody's just full wants <laughs> to go to bed it is it is all about racing to the meal isn't it and how much for me anyway and my family how much you can skip how much you can get away with skipping through um but it is for children as well isn't it? i mean all the the, the passover books with their pop-up bits that you can pull and unleash the plagues and things i you know you love that when you're a child and you never you never really grow out of that well i never have never grown out of the wine stains on the haggadahs and you can never find enough every year yeah Um, and it does take us back to the beginnings and i think it's very very important i actually love it i really do and i think it's the familiarity of a ritual that you've always had and and there's something very comforting about continuing to do that even though the cast members change and the um, and and the location changes and circumstances change, but you still sit down for the seder every year. And then every time you have the egg and salt water, which actually I don't think the Sephardis do egg and salt water, which is tragic because every year everybody says, "Isn't this delicious? Isn't it refreshing? Why don't we have it on other nights <laughs> well, of the did, year?" We we did one once have it on another night of the year just to see if it still tasted as nice, and it didn't. No, but don't you think it tastes lovely because the egg and salt water is the first thing you eat after waiting hours through the prayer so anything is going to eat it tastes nice then I, I think it is genuinely delicious in a way that's impossible to describe to someone who's never encountered yeah. it i think it is delicious but i think it is also it is also something to do with the occasion yeah like having matzah did you do you like it's good for the first week only having matzah isn't it but then it becomes it pulls doesn't it yeah, I mean, Matt, so, you know, it's, 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 it's a toughie, isn't it? I, I've, I've, I've lately started doing what um, traditional Jews do, which is they make sure they don't go anywhere near Matzah for uh, at least a month between Purim and Passover, because um, I, would, I would sort of pass over a bit during the year and nosh a bit of Matzah. Yeah. And that's, that's helped just to, to say, oh, at least I'm looking forward to oh, it. But so withdrawal symptoms for Matzah, you mean? Yeah, I think I sort of lent. I do lent. I give up Matzahs for Lent, which sets me up nicely for Passover. <laughs> So I've found Mark Rosenblatt um, uh, hopefully glowing after that um, wonderful performance. Thank you, Mark. I just wondered about Passover for you. Is it a wonderful, nostalgic-tripped moment? Do you enjoy Passover? Uh, actually, uh, the first night I 
kind of enjoy it. I, my dad always reads the translation of a, from a really archaically translated Haggadah, which slightly drives us all demented. And he reads it in a very sort of, in quite a sort of stern, sort of Moses-like voice. Um, and that goes on, and it's quite a long meal, so it goes on for quite a long time, and it sometimes can stretch on to one o'clock in the morning, by which time we're all falling off our chairs, sort of hoping we can go to bed and getting through the final sort of songs which have lots of call and response in them. I think what's interesting is it brings out of every family the family's take on life. So my family has a particular way of doing it. I've been to New York and had Seder night with a very liberal, left-wing, political family, and all the stories are about sort of you know, re- gender reappropriation and people contribute in a very, very different way. I think people make of it politically um, very, very different things all around the world. For me, the acid test of who's at the Seder and their political views is the uh, when you go around and get everyone to wash their hands and whether it's a woman who carries around the bowl or and how people react to this sort of very old-fashioned ancient sort of I mean in my house because I'm so right on and Guardian podcast I carry around the uh, the wash the washing bowl and um, dressed as a woman well that I'm not prepared (laughs) to admit uh, but yeah please that's the last time you're invited Well, I've just uh, spotted a long-time friend of mine and a, a Yiddish-speaking macher, uh, Michael Joseph, who owns Joseph's Bookstore um, in Temple Fortune. What's macht a Yid? Okay, um, let's let's stick to English, um, but possibly because both our Yiddish is a bit um, uh, limping. Um, and, uh, yeah. Michael, um, Passover view a big a big deal in the calendar? Uh, definitely. Long memories of uh, my father, who I think um, influenced the way I like to do it. I, I find I can remember practically the whole Seder off by heart as a result of the couple of hours we had each year. For me, uh, it's a Jewish Christmas, and I think it's pretty good. I, th- I mean, I, my, my father passed away about five years ago, and I suppose... You know, there is obviously his um, Yurtzeit and uh, when you remember his, the day of his death and what have you. But for me, like you say, Passover, because now I lead the Passover, and I, I do exactly the same songs and exactly the same jokes almost, terrible jokes, that my dad did with the same intonation. Um, and I suppose it's, there is a sort of continuity there, isn't there? I think it's tremendous continuity. And I, my father used to go to Africa for business for quite a long period, but he would never, ever miss the Seder. He would always come back, you know, wherever he was, even if he wasn't, you know, at all convenient. Never, ever would miss it. And it's a very, very strong link, yes, very strong link. Some of the Hebrew, and if you're not terribly fluent, is quite difficult. And I just can remember, actually, literally, almost... The, the, Can we put you to the test with actually hearing that? Just give us a little burst. I've only had a soft drink, but I'll try. That's great, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I can sort of hear that his, his, his accent is very Ashkenazi there. Very, very Ashkenazi, yes. So I, I love this. Yeah. And I'm now pretty smug because my dad used to do the last verse of each one of those in one breath. Yes, which very, means, very, very, very great. Which, which is... Oh, I don't like your tune. I wouldn't like to be at your say that that's a different tune. Yeah, and, and to do the whole... 
Well, well, you trumped me on being able to do it by heart. And now I don't feel so smug. I think there's a Rebbe in the wings here. Yes, there is a Rebbe. There's a, a rabbi near us. Michael, thank you very much. Zaymi uh, Gazunt. So I've caught um, Rabbi Jeremy Gordon again, for, um, inspired by the, the plays. Just wanted to talk about your own personal memories of, of, of Passover. Or, or um, I mean, presumably as, as a kid, it was a, a big deal. It was fabulous. It was fabulous. My, my grandfather, blessed memory, died at the end of uh, Passover. It's, a, it's an eight-day festival. He died at the end. And, you know, I really remember his last Seder nights. We kind of, sort of, he was very, very aged, but he still managed to kind of sing his songs. He was a heavy, heavy smoker. And he would do these songs at the end of the Seder night, all in one breath, all these kind of uh, long, long verses. And he'd get to the end and he would sort of take in this kind of... <gasps> And it was this sort of bronchial, pneumonial sort of rattle. And, and was it like a, a, a huge family, say, with lots of guests when you were young? It was always... I mean, my parents separated when I was 10, which meant that first night Seder was always Dad's side and second night Seder was always Mum's side. And first night Seder would always be a little larger and second night a little smaller. But uh, now being a congregational rabbi, the numbers get sort of slightly larger and... Uh, yeah, we have to institute controls before they spill out through every room in the house, really. So do you do a, a, a community seder on the second night? We do a community seder on the second night, yes. And, and what's, what's that like? I mean, I do stand-up, and I think that those nights can be tough, but I think I could not hack doing a community seder. It's funny. I mean, the first time I ever went to a community seder, I was leading it. Um, but actually, if I say it myself, it's a lovely seder. People come together because no matter whether or not you're on holiday from America and you've just found yourself in England or maybe your wife of 50 years of marriage has died and you don't want to have a Seder that reminds you of her or whether or not you made Seder first night and you want to come to the synagogue for the second night there's enough that binds us together with all the rituals that there's a wonderful feel that is always there. I love it. It's great fun. I just worry that um, so much for me uh, of Seder night, and maybe that's because I'm a control freak, is doing the songs according to the way I, I learnt them. You know, I want to do my tune. And I imagine at a community Seder, there's just a, a, a pile-up of people wanting to sing things in their way. The good news is that if you're the rabbi, you have the, uh, the power I'm going to start training now. <laughs> You'd be a wonderful <laughs> rabbi, David. Thanks very much. <laughs> Happy Pesach. Yeah, and to you. Well, that's all from this special Passover podcast. Uh, my thanks to Josephine Burton, Amy Rosenthal, Maureen Lipman, Rabbi Jeremy Gordon, and Mark Rosenblatt. Thanks, too, to our sponsors, the Jewish Community Centre for London. That's all from me, David Schneider, and my producer, Sarah Peters. Uh, have a happy Pesach. Goodbye. Shalom, shalom.